Good morning. I got you down to do the 7 or 805 this morning with Drew Steele? That's, I guess so. All right, going over me if you get conservative giving us the truth. Daybreak with Drew Steele on 92.5 Fox News. Well, good morning, Talk Let's Lower. Glad you're here. 239-479-5592. That is the talk and text line. We stream live, DrewSteel.com, the website, Steel.S3Es. We appreciate you watching the program and subscribing uh, to the podcast. Uh, the Kyle Rittenhouse case, uh, just wondering where we are right now as uh, the deliberations past day three. Uh, what can we expect moving forward? And even with some of the details and questions that people have uh, wanted to get into that right now with uh, Andrew Branca is the attorney at law. Uh, he's a self-defense law attorney, uh, an internationally recognized expert con- uh, contributions to the Wall Street Journal, National Review, uh, Chicago Trib, Washington Post. And uh, he's also the host of the Outdoor Channel's uh, TV show, The Best Defense. And he's joining <laughs> on Daybreak 92.5 Fox News. It's Drew Steele. How are you, sir? Hey, it's a pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me on. Well, I appreciate a few minutes of your time today. Uh, by the way, lawofselfdefense.com is the website. I would encourage you to go to the website and find out more about these stories. You know, as you've been following this case, maybe I just jump in uh, like uh, like this. Uh, after the, uh, the debacle, I guess is the way you would put it, with the, with the prosecution and the way they've handled this case, how is it that we're in a position right now where the judge hasn't made the decision for mistrial? Why is it that we wait till this moment in time? We've gone this far with all of the, the things that we've witnessed. How come it hasn't happened yet at all? Well, unfortunately, we have a very indecisive judge. We have a judge who does not like to make judgments. Uh, so he, he prefers to wait to see what the jury is going to do. I think he's hoping the jury will acquit so that he doesn't have to make these decisions on these motions for a mistrial with or without prejudice. Uh, but of course, what we're seeing is um, the, the jury is having a great deal of di- difficulty coming to any unanimous decision. Yeah. I, and I guess the, so I wonder if that speaks to, and I mean, as you, you take the 30,000 foot view and you look at this uh, from your position, do you look at this and say that uh, ultimately because because the judge could make the decision for mistrial even after uh, if there is a lesser charge, let's say he he could move to even dismiss that mess, lesser charge. Or is I mean, is that even possible? He has that authority. Uh, the mm-hmm. difference is if he dismisses before a verdict, it's not appealable by the prosecution. If he dismisses after a verdict, the prosecution can appeal that decision to an appellate court. But there's nothing I've seen about this judge that would suggest to me that if the jury returns a verdict, that he would yeah. he would rule in contrary to that verdict. Yeah. As you've seen some of uh, what has played out, even with the, the video and how the defense, uh, uh, excuse me, the prosecution uh, put this video out, the drone video footage, presenting this early on uh, and uh, showing the, the jury this blurred uh, video out only to find out that there was a much better version that wasn't presented. And some of the things like that, uh, that happened. I mean, is this typical? I mean, is this something that prosecutions do uh, to leave out and discovery certain evidence like that? Or, or is this just something that screams of a prosecution that maybe is just flailing because they know through discovery and even uh, through this case, uh, what they know, which is it's a it's a tough one to to make. Well, there's no legal merit to this prosecution at all. There never has been. 
Uh, there's no expectation, I think, ever that the prosecution was going to be able to convince 12 jurors unanimously that guilt has been proven beyond a reasonable doubt. In this case, that self-defense has been disproven beyond a reasonable doubt, which is the prosecution's burden here. It, their conduct with this video, the, the video magically left by the evidence fairy on the prosecution's doorstep in the middle of a trial that they had 14 months to prepare for, and then giving the defense a low-resolution version about which the defense need not be concerned because you can't see anything in it, um, and then showing the high-resolution version in front of the jury. This is either incompetence of constitutional dimensions because the defendant has the absolute constitutional right to see the evidence that's going to be used against him in court. That did not happen here. Not a degraded version of the evidence. The actual evidence is what they're privileged to see. They did not get that. Or... It's some form of misconduct. Yeah. And I guess that goes back to the other question that uh, that we brought up earlier, just to kind of reinforce this, which is when something like that happens, you would imagine that that right there would be the mistrial, that even putting the rest of it aside up to that point. But it, it does feel like this this judge would like for it to be made by the jury, the decision. Uh, because, and, and forgive me if I, I put it this way, and, and I'm kind of taking a side here, so you know you can tell me if I'm wrong in this position, but I don't know where the win is here, because if, if it does go to the jury, and the jury does decide to, uh, to dismiss all the charges to acquit, and there's nothing uh, to see here, you're going to have people who are going to feel like uh, justice was not served, and there's going to be trouble. If you, if you see a judge that decides that uh, after everything is said and done, like or even beforehand, early does a mistrial. People are going to say, "Well, the judge, uh, all these things with the the, uh, the 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 sound, uh, the the song on his phone, and uh, uh, the the partisanship that he kind of shows politically, and uh, how he has been acting, and and so that is going to cause uh, uh, the streets to be uh, riotous, if you will." And then you have uh, maybe the jury deciding on a couple of other charges that ultimately uh, would be dismissed by. Uh, by the judge as well. I'm just wondering where we may see uh, something being decided uh, here in this case that wouldn't lead to uh, people trying to take it into their own hands on the street, if you know what I'm saying. I do. And I think those outcomes, those dangerous, violent outcomes you're describing could well happen. But I think you're misapplying the cause. The actual cause of that is the media misreporting of these events just like they misreported the Jacob Lake event that led to these riots in the first place. Now they're misreporting, yep. providing misinformation and disinformation to the public. Half the public still thinks that Kyle Rittenhouse gunned down a bunch of black people at a Black Lives Matter event. Um, that obviously never happened, but they believe it because the media lies to us makes us believe things, narratives that are untrue. And then when there's an acquittal, everyone is shocked and outraged that an injustice was done because, well, they believe an injustice was done because they believe the false narrative of the media. Yeah. Uh, I'm looking at your website, lawofselfdefense.com, and I'm looking at uh, one of the articles you have up here recently about uh, the latest in Verdict Watch. You're, you're kind of concerned about a rogue juror. Can you explain a little bit about this? Well, it's not uncommon in trials. Sometimes you get a juror who kind of takes over the jury panel or becomes 
uh, resistant to argument by the other jurors. They they come in with a they don't approach the their jury duty as unbiased and impartial as they tell the court they will do when they're first seated as a juror when they're going through the jury selection process. They come in with a set point of view uh, and they refuse to budge off that set point of view regardless of the evidence and law as provided within the courthouse. They begin to apply information from outside the court, things that might not actually have been admissible in the court, concepts of law that are incorrect. Uh, They begin to use dictionary definitions of words as opposed to the actual technical legal definitions of words, which can be very, very different. Um, And essentially, they simply become recalcitrant to actually delivering justice in the case if that requires budging them from their personal position. So then, for example, the jury wasn't sequestered in this case, was it? No. And they almost never are. So So nobody likes to – the jury doesn't like being sequestered. The court doesn't like sequestering juries. So it's extremely unusual for a jury to be sequestered. But there's so much that could happen without the sequester that would – uh, in this, in the environment that we're in, let, let me put it that way. Yeah. In the environment that we're in right now, to not sequester a jury, to have them be able to hear things through walls, or to be able to access uh, things outside, or when they when they go home, they're certainly going to probably hear the story and uh, somehow about the MSNBC uh, whatever reporter person yes. uh, producer following them. They're going to hear about this. So that in itself does ask and beg the question, how do you get the jury to not look at all of those positions when they do uh, come across to make a decision? Right. You would have had to have sequestered them. The problem is, you know, you're in the news. I cover these cases professionally all the time. We're familiar with the intensity of scrutiny and media coverage that these cases get. But if you're a small town judge in Kenosha, Wisconsin, you've never had this experience before. You have no idea how intense things are going to be. The judge talked about this before, uh, before the trial even started. He said, well, you know, people keep telling me to be concerned, but I've had high profile cases before. It's never been an issue. And I'm thinking to myself, as someone who follows these cases professionally, I don't think you've had a high profile case like this before. I think you're going to find this is an extremely different experience than your norm. And of course it is. Right. Yeah, and you know, and I think we all assume that they know what they're getting into. The jury knows beforehand about the the uh, where this case stands uh, in in the national view. The judge has to understand what uh, what he's getting into as well, and to and to look at all of this ahead of time. So as we see this case playing out, the the days that we have we're going into day four. It's not unusual, right? I mean, for a jury to take this long in high-profile cases, this is pretty typical, right? Four days is getting to be pretty long, honestly. I mean, if you think of another high-profile case like the George Zimmerman case, which is right – you guys are in Florida, right? It was right down in your neck of the woods. Uh, The jury returned a verdict within a couple days, right? It wasn't even 48 hours. Uh, And that was obviously a very high-profile case. So four days tells us that there's somebody, at least one person in the jury who is – Absolutely resistant to uh, achieving consensus. Otherwise, something would have been arrived at. Yeah. So I guess I'd ask you before we go, you play the prediction game. How do you see this playing out now after day four? You know, I don't predict verdicts because juries are juries are dangerous and unpredictable creatures, as we're seeing in this case. I, I will suggest that this is not going on much longer. I would not be surprised if a mistrial was declared today, Friday, the end of the week. 
And next week is Thanksgiving, and there's a lot of women on that jury, and you know we're, we're still living in a nation where a lot of the Thanksgiving stuff is taken care of by the ladies in the house, and I don't think they're going to want to spend next week sitting in this jury deliberation room when they're supposed to be preparing for Thanksgiving. Hmm. All right, well, we keep an eye on it. The website's fantastic, uh, lawofselfdefense.com. The work you're doing is great. Andrew Branca joining us on Daybreak 92.5 Fox News, attorney of law, and uh, you've probably seen him on Outdoor Channel TV show, The Best Defense, contributor to the National Review Online and other great publications as well. Uh, it's great to follow you, uh, by the way, uh, and what's happening on Twitter as well. So it has been uh, really informative. I appreciate a few minutes of your time, sir. Thanks so much. My pleasure. Take care.